If you would like to borrow a Bible this morning to follow along with us, you can raise your hand right now and the ushers will bring you a Bible. Just a quick heads up. Uh, Good Friday, that's before Easter, we're going to be uh, having a Good Friday service, but we're going to have a, a baptism that night. And if, if you're a believer in Jesus, a follower of Christ, and you've not been baptized, you really need to be baptized. Uh, I, I, it's amazing how a lot of people are following Christ and they're not baptized. It's such an easy command, just... It's a, it's a, and, and you ignore it. It's something I ignored. I got, I got saved at 19 and didn't get baptized until actually I was in seminary. So I encourage you not to ignore it and to come talk to us. And that's going to be about two weeks, baptism on Good Friday. We've been going through the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, and we find ourselves coming to the end of Sermon on the Mount. And the issue we're going to deal with today is prayer. Yep, I'm sure we're all strong in that. Uh, the issue of not just prayer, but consistent prayer. And you know and I know it's that consistency that is often lacking in our lives. I was thinking about who's here in our church. And what's kind of cool is there are a lot of young guys in our church. Like if you look around, you're like, oh, there's some young guys here. And there's young girls too. But I'm just talking about the young guys right now. And when I was your age, I followed Jesus around, like I said, at 19. And I know a lot of you are, are, are pretty serious about following Christ. And I just want to know, is your prayer life consistent? And, and when you think about prayer, especially when you're young, you may think it's not that big of a deal. But it's... It's crucial for you to develop a consistent prayer life now while you're young. And so that will carry on throughout your life. And it's something we all want to have, whether we're young or old. We want to have this consistent prayer life. And what we notice that tends to happen is prayer seems to be the first thing that goes. We tend to get all excited when we hear preaching and teaching on it. Maybe actually today you'll get excited about praying again for a few minutes. And then after, you'll be like, uh, you'll be back to sporadic praying. And you know, Jesus knows our hearts. He knows what's going on inside of us. And that's why he's going to motivate his disciples and you to consistent prayer, not by working really hard at it and being a good Pharisee or trying to guilt you into praying, but what he's going to do, he's going to show you a fantastic picture of who the Father is. Where you're just going to want to pray. And so when you leave here today, you're not going to pray because you feel guilty. Oh, I've got to start praying again. But you're going to want to pray because it's a privilege. You have privileges as children of the Father that you can come into his presence and ask him for good gifts. And it's, it's my prayer for you, it has been throughout this week, that you would actually leave here today not motivated by guilt, but motivated by privilege on who God is in his character. So let's see it and turn to Matthew 7 and let's all stand and let's read the section on prayer. See the character of God here in his greatness. We're going to, uh, Matthew 7, start in verse 7 and we'll go through verse 12. I'll explain that later. Let's go. Verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You may be seated. This is not the first time that Jesus has talked on prayer. We have the Lord's Prayer earlier and his teaching on basically how to pray, a model of prayer. And the teaching right here on prayer is basically the kind of prayers that will be answered. Those who keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, those are the ones who are going to have their prayers answered. This consistent and persistent and habitual prayer. It's not the babbling of the pagans that we saw earlier in chapter 6. It's not the heaping up of many words. But it's that kind of praying that just keeps on asking. just keeps going to the Father. And it's the kind of praying that is a passionate pursuit of God just keeps on pressing into him keeps on coming to him it's like it says in, in Jeremiah I love this Old Testament passage Jeremiah 29 13 says you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart and that's kind of the idea that Jesus is pressing in here the kind of, of passionate pursuit of God in prayer, where he does, in fact, answer. So let's jump in. Verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. He's, he's trying to encourage his disciples to pray. God's going to respond. And get this. Look at the text closely. You don't have to be a special Christian to pray this kind of prayer. Look at verse 8. It says, for everyone. That means every child of God in here who asks receives for what they ask for in prayer. Everyone, every Christian who knocks on the door will have it open in what they're asking for in prayer. Every Christian, every born-again believer who seeks God in prayer will have what they are seeking for. It is this kind of consistent seeking, asking, knocking. God will, in fact, respond to what you're asking for. Jesus is really fueling our faith. He's building up our faith. He's trying to get us to ask. He's trying to get us to pray. He's trying to get us to come straight to the Father through him and just ask. But you're saying maybe, maybe not. Maybe he won't respond to our prayers. Maybe he's not going to do that. But here we go with the character of God. Look at the character of our Heavenly Father in verse 9 and 10. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Well, this is kind of messed up. This is a skewed picture of a dysfunctional father where the, the son is asking for bread and he's asking for fish. And rather than the father saying, no, son, you cannot have any bread. Or no, son, you cannot have fish. The father actually is cruel to the son and plays uh, almost like a, a very cruel and mean joke on him. And it, maybe the bread actually looks like, or the stone looks like a bread. 
or maybe the, um, the, 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 the snake looks like a, maybe an eel-like fish. And so the idea is the son takes what he thinks is bread, chomps on the stone, or takes what he thinks is fish, chomps on it, and gets bitten. I mean, it's a very cruel and evil joke, and you want to say, Jesus, where are you going with this? Very interesting illustration. Where are you going, Jesus? Well, look what he says in verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Most of the parents in here, and I know most of the parents in here, I would say probably all of you, you have good intentions for your kids. You do. You care for them. You love them. Yet, no matter how hard you try, you're still going to mess up. You're still going to fail because you're sinful. In comparison to God, he is holy. You are evil. So I don't care how many books you read, how many classes you take, you're still evil in comparison to holy God. You will not be perfect. And even though we are evil, we still know how to give good gifts to our kids. I mean... I've bought my kids so much junk, oh, toys, over the year. Even, even though I know, I know now, I didn't used to know, even though I know they're going to play with it like less than a minute, I remember I used to go to Toys R Us and I used to think, all right, I'm going to buy this toy and they're going to play with it for like eight hours each day. That's what I did with my first child. Now on number five, I know better. It's like, okay, no toys for you. I mean, I know. It's not, it's not the way it works. But I have, I have good intentions. I, I want the best for, for, my, for my kids. And yet God, the way Jesus is arguing, you're evil. God is so much greater. He's so much greater even than evil, perfect, evil, evil fathers. And he's perfect and kind. And he gives good gifts to his children. If, if you're his child, if you're saved, he, he gives good gifts to you. The book of James uh, says a very similar thing. James 1.17, let me show you this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It's the kind heart of your Father who is ready to give you good gifts. It is the kind heart of the Father who's ready to just pour out blessings upon you if you would only ask and I want you to think about this. He is not stingy. He is not a cruel father who's playing uh, bad jokes on us. He loves us. And if you doubt that, keep going back to the cross of Jesus. I, I don't know if everybody in here is a follower of Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we're so glad you're here. We're talking about the greatest gift ever that we have received, that the Father has made provision for sinful human beings to come into his presence through the finished work of Jesus, his life, perfect life and death on the cross, the greatest gift ever. We can come into the presence of our Father, and we have received the greatest gift of eternal life, of our sins forgiven. And if God has given his children that, he's going to give us so much more. Consider in Romans eight thirty-two. It says that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So the argument is, if God has saved us, will he not also bless us with the good gifts that he sees fit until we're with him in glory? If you ever doubt that he gives good gifts, keep going back to the cross. Keep going back to Jesus. Now, you know when you hear sermons like this, 
you always got to have this massive caution, right? Okay, I'm not going to get anything I want, right? Because I'm, I've really been praying for this, you know, this thing and I'm not getting it. And so I know this doesn't work, right? You're just ready for a caution. So here is some, some caution or something to think about when we try to understand what does Jesus mean when he speaks about good gifts? What are they? What are they not? What does he have in mind? Because some of you are ready to pray right now. You're ready to rush into the Father's presence. You're ready to keep on praying. You're like, what, what are the good gifts? What can we ask for in our Father's presence? So here's a caution. They're not gifts that feed our selfish desires. The book of James talks about this in James 4, 2 through 3. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Most of you know that verse, but you know the verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Some of you have been praying for a long time certain prayers and you're wondering why they're not being answered. Well, it could be that you're praying out of selfishness, out of wrong motives, out of to pursue your own sinful passions. Well, God, God's not going to answer those prayers. And what's so hard, it's kind of tricky because even when we pray, we don't know our motives sometimes, right? You're like, is this something I want that's selfish or is this going to honor and glorify God? And it's a kind of a fine line. And, and sometimes we just don't know. And so when you don't know, like, God, search my heart. I don't want to be selfish in what I'm asking for, but is this really from you? And, and I think a, a good rule of thumb that would be really wise is that your father knows best. And I think what we can do is just ask him for what we perceive to be a good thing, go to him and ask for that good thing, and then let him decide whether he discerns is that a good thing for us or not. Our Father knows the best. So we know we don't want to ask for things that are about selfish passions, but what are the good things? Let's keep coming back to that question. What does it mean to ask our Father to give us good things, good gifts to his children? What are the good gifts? And this brings us to verse 12. Look at verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You ever heard that before? That's, like, that's the golden rule. Like, what, why is it called the golden rule? Well, there was this emperor who I guess really liked that verse and he wrote it on his wall in gold. So we call it the golden reel, okay? That's the background story. But don't you ever wonder, like, why is this verse here? It's like, it seems so out of place, doesn't it? It's like, uh, that's random. <laughs> we're talking about prayer, and then we're going into the narrow way, and we have do to others what you wish them to do to you. Well, it's, it's not out of place because it's the summary verse. Flip, flip back to chapter 5. Flip back to chapter 5. We started out with the concept of law and prophets in 520. Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So the idea there is Christ is the center and fulfillment of Scripture's prophecy, right? And then we saw in 5, that was 517, I'm sorry. And then in 520, 
It says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And so what we did through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about the radical kingdom norms. The radical kingdom norms of, of loving your enemy, being reconciled with those who you have uh, issues with, um, dealing with your anger, dealing with your lust, walking in purity, not divorcing, being faithful in marriage, uh, not retaliating, not judging. So we went through all those issues of an exceeding righteousness that happens through the renovation of our hearts where we walk in godliness, the power of God in us. And then we have it all summed up. Jesus says, okay, here's the summary. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. So it's a summary verse. It, it kind of brings the Sermon on the Mount, the radical kingdom norms, and boils it all down to this statement of whatever you want us to do to you, do it to them. But the issue is, why is prayer here? Why does he talk about prayer in the midst of this? What are the good things? And, and here, here's what I think that Jesus is getting at, at least part of what he's getting at. As you read the Sermon on the Mount, as we've been going through this, I hope that you have said over and over again, I can't do this. I have have an anger problem, and I can't seem to break out of the cycle. I have a lust problem. I am stuck in porn. I cannot seem to get out of it. I have people that I'm not reconciled with. I'm having issues breaking from that cycle of revenge and retaliation. And so hopefully, as you've read the Sermon on the Mount, you've come to the realization that you cannot do the Sermon on the Mount. You cannot live the Sermon on the Mount. And so hopefully... When Jesus starts talking about prayer, it starts to make sense. Yeah, I need to pray because I can't do any of this. I need power. I need strength. I need motivation. I need desire. I need the Holy Spirit because I can't live the Sermon on the Mount apart from God. In fact, this verse here that we're studying in, in Matthew 7, the one about the good gifts, is quoted also in Luke. Let me put that up for you. This may give some clarity. Because Luke 13 focuses on the Holy Spirit. Look at this one. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Oh, that's interesting, huh? So as believers, we know we're not asking now for the initial indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which comes at conversion, but we're asking for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we cannot possibly do the Sermon on the Mount without the good gifts of the Holy Spirit's power to continue to renovate our hearts and to change us. So yes, part of the good gifts is asking for the Holy Spirit power and the ability to live the Sermon on the Mount. But I believe there's no way that verse 11 of chapter 7 and asking for the gifts means that we are just limited to praying about spiritual formation issues. Because Jesus will also ask us in the Lord's Prayer to pray for our daily bread. He'll tell us in the section about worry, not to worry about clothes, God will give us provision for those as well. I assume that means we can pray about that as well. 
And I believe the good gifts of the Father can include praying for spiritual things, but also making provision for us in physical things and in circumstances and what's going on with our lives. I just think the encouragement that Jesus is giving here is just to pray. Keep on praying. Don't just limit it to physical, circumstantial things. Seek the face of God and ask for power in your life, but also ask for circumstances to change. If you need for provision, ask for provision. If you need something to happen, go to your Father and ask. Let me put this up by R.T. France. This is really encouraging to me. This is one of the most encouraging things I think I'm going to be able to share today. He says this. He says, there is an openness. This is a scholar, by the way. There's an openness about verse 7 and 8, and that's the ask, seek, and knock, which invites us not merely a resigned acceptance of what the Father gives, but a willingness to explore the extent of his generosity. How many of you would love to explore the extent of God's generosity with your life? Does that just reframe the whole concept of prayer? Like, you don't go out of here feeling guilty that you need to pray, but I'm saying, hey, guess what? I dare you to explore the extent of your father's generosity. Does that just make it sound different now? It's, like, it's not about guilt. It's like, I can go to my father through Jesus, what a privilege, and just explore God. Do these big things in my life. And it's exciting. It just reframes prayer and just makes it really exciting. Really exciting. But you and I know we still struggle to pray consistently. And we read about Paul. You know, he talks about praying without ceasing, praying continually. And it's what I want to do, and I know it's what you want to do. So let's just explore for a minute. Just as we kind of finish up here, let's explore why we don't pray consistently. And I, I love for you in your ethos community just to hit different angles on this so we can really spur one another on. But I really want you to think that. We're going to keep thinking through this text. Why don't we pray consistently? And there's a lot of things I could say in thinking about this. I'm going to say a couple things, and, and hopefully in your ethos you can kind of blow it up and say a lot more. But number one, I don't think we pray consistently because your vision for your life is too small. Your vision for your life is too small. And I'm not dogging you. I'm just saying. That what you're thinking in your vision, you're thinking about what is doable. You're thinking about what is manageable, which doesn't require much faith and it doesn't require much prayer. Last week, I was listening to one of my favorite Bible teachers, Jeff Vanderstelt. And he said there's a very wrong-headed way of thinking that is floating around churches. And I hope it's not floating around our church, but just in case it is, I'm going to share it. Let me put this up there. Don't put this on your refrigerator or on Facebook. It says, here's the quote, God will never call you to do something you can't do. God will never call you to do something you can't do. Uh, <laughs> that, No. <laughs> That's, that's wrong-headed. Let's just think about this biblically for a second, okay? Moses. He has speech issues. And God's calling him to speak to Pharaoh. 
He can't do that, right? All right, let's, let's, let's take it up a notch. Gideon. All right, Gideon, your army is way too big. Let's cut it. Nope, let's cut it. Nope, let's keep cutting it. Okay, good, that's right. Now you for sure can't do it. Joshua, let's march around these walls. I want you to march around the walls and blow trumpets. Yeah, that's a good plan. That's, you're really going to be able to do that one. Do you, do you see? It's like, yeah, God is he's constantly calling people to do things that they can't do. But, but I, I'm afraid that, that too many times in life that our vision is shrinking and it's so small because we're always thinking, okay, make sure that I can handle it. Make sure that I can pull it off and manage it with, with God out of the equation. And you wonder why you don't pray much? Because your vision is so small. Like right now, it's crazy. It's crazy in our church around April. March, April, May is because... I, my guess is about half of you are trying to make major life decisions. It just happens every year. You're, like, you're just trying to make major life decisions. And yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And I, I'm, I'm just, just wondering, are the decisions you're trying to make moving you in the direction that you can pull them off? And like, you know, I'm going to make sure that everything I can do is manageable and doable and um, I can just pull them off with God. I don't really need God. And I want to tell you, if you're pursuing the doable, manageable, comfortable, what's the easiest path, this is exactly what I can do, you're, you're probably not going to pray much. Even though Jesus said you can do nothing without him, you're probably not going to pray much. And I want to tell you, when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been looking at this it's, it's, it's impossible to do without God. Jesus' kingdom vision is so big that it cannot be pulled off without God. And I'm just wondering, what is God crafting, shaping, moving, stirring you up in your life? And what is happening in you that is going to require so much prayer for the good gifts of God to respond? Like, what's happening in your life right now that makes you say, that is just not going to happen without God. I mean, it's the same with churches. We don't want to always talk about what's manageable, what's doable. We want to say, you know what, that's just not going to happen without God. And it's going to make us press into him, draw near to him, and say, God, we need your good gifts. We need your good gifts. We need discernment. We need power. We need strength. We need wisdom. Maybe you need provision. It's not going to happen without God. So try to get rid of those uh, manageable doable visions that are often really small. But it doesn't mean, I want to put a little, little tag on here at the end, it doesn't mean that you need to now be overwhelmed with changing the world. Too many times when we hear things like this, oh, I've got to have a big vision. That means I've got to move somewhere else. It means I've got to do something grand. I'm not talking about being overwhelmed with, with trying to change the world. This past Tuesday at our Ethos Leadership Training, we talked about who changes the world. Do elites and culture change the world, or is it the underdog that changes the world? And we were kind of going back and forth. We were debating, ah, oh, the elites always change culture. No, it's the underdogs that change culture. And so we're debating, I don't want to get into that right now. But I do want to say this. God has called you to have a kingdom impact right where you are, right here, right now. 
I know that some of you, because I think this way too sometimes, I know that some of you believe that once you move to a different place at a different time in your life, then that is when you're going to have this great impact for God. Do you think God thinks of you that way? It's like, well, if I could just get them to move over there, if I could just get them to get married or go all out, then that for sure, no. I'm going to put this up. For you. Now, you can definitely put this on Facebook and on your refrigerator. This is a quote from Oz Guinness. Don't put that other one up there, but you can put this one on. In terms of influence, the problem is not that most Christians aren't where they should be, but they aren't what they should be where they are. Uh-oh. <laughs> is that any of you? <laughs> it's not about where, you're, where you should be. You know, it's about influence and like, hey, are you influencing kingdom vision where you're at right now, not some other time? And so what's amazing about this, it, it kind of takes the pressure off. So here, here's, here's what it means. I'm just wondering, my brothers and sisters who are, are in, maybe those of you who are in school, are you impacting your friends that are believers or unbelievers with the gospel like you should be right here, right now, or are you just thinking about, oh, but the lost of the nations, we got to go to them. Absolutely we do. But are you just kind of missing what you're supposed to be doing because you have this big grand vision out there where you're not doing anything? Or maybe, or maybe if you're a parent in here, you're thinking about, maybe you think, oh, we've got to help the poor orphans of the world, and we do, but you're totally missing the fact of shepherding your own kids. Or, or maybe you, you're married and you're, you're, you're like, oh, man, we've got to help uh, other people and their marriages and their lives, and, and yet you're, you're missing the fact, like, oh, we need to actually love each other. I think sometimes we can get such grand visions and we can talk about them, we can like get all excited about, but we don't want to do that, the kind of simple stuff. And it's that simple stuff that's going to require prayer. Say, God, help me. Help me love my neighbors. God, help me impact my kids. God, help me love my spouse. So where is your vision at? Is it big to impact where you're at right here, right now? Or is it small, little, manageable visions that you can try to pull off in your own strength? One's going to cause you to pray. One's going to cause you to slack off. Well, the second thing is the last thing I want to share. You lack a big vision, maybe. Is the second thing, the reason why we don't pray much, is, is that you've prayed like this before, and it didn't work. <laughs> yeah? You've prayed, you're like... God, I prayed for that forever, and it did not work. You kept asking, you kept seeking, and you kept knocking for the good gifts of God, and you did not receive, you did not find, and the door was not open. It was sealed tight, shut. And so what happens when God has these unanswered prayers? You, maybe you're disappointed, you pout, uh, whatever happens, you end up playing, uh, praying less. So what, what happens? What are we supposed to do when that happens? I think we had to keep coming back to the character of God. He's our Father. He lives. He loves us. He, good, he gives us good gifts to His children. He He sent Christ for us to die in our place. Of course, He loves us. Of course, He knows what are good gifts. And, and sometimes we, we doubt this, so we got to come back to you know Jesus' words: "Not my will, but Yours be done." Your will be done. Sermon on the Mount. Because if we're not careful, our our hearts will will be all over the place. And so here's, here's the honest question when we're dealing with unanswered prayers. This question right here. 
How long should we consistently pray for something if there is no answer? How long should you keep on praying? Now, I know there's someone in here who's going to say, God always answers prayer. It's either yes, no, or wait. That does not help me. Does that help you? Like, that doesn't help me, all right? I don't want to hear that. So how long should we keep on praying when it seems like God's not answering our, our prayer? Maybe you've had some, some sickness, some illness that you've been dealing with for years, and you're wondering, you know, should I keep praying? Should I stop praying? I remember the Apostle Paul, he had this thorn in his flesh, whatever that was, and he pleaded three times, and then God's grace was sufficient. I assume that he was done praying about that. Or maybe you uh, are trying to have a baby and you're not able to conceive. And you're like, and, you know, I've been praying for this for years. Should I keep praying for that? And should, should I be like Hannah and keep pressing on in prayer? Or should I, should I pull back? Maybe you've had the longing, you're like, you know, I really want to get married. And I've been praying that for 5, 10, 15 years. Like maybe, should I stop praying about getting married? Jerry Bridges is a very wise man. He wrote in his book, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. He wrote this about how long we should pray. He says, as long as we can pray trustingly with an attitude of acceptance of his will, we should pray as long as desire remains. He says we should pray as long as desire remains. So I think the idea is if you've been pressing on in prayer for years and God's not answering the way you want, I think, you know what? If you still have that desire and you can pray trustingly, like you can really trust, like not my will but yours be done, if you really can pray that way, keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing on to the heart of the Father. Keep, keep asking, Lord, for the, for the good gifts. Keep consistently asking, seeking, knocking, and trust on his timing on what he's going to do in your life. And there's one, one, one thing I want to add to all of this is that, my brothers and sisters, you, you are not meant to do this alone. You're really not meant to just like struggle alone, pray for certain things alone. I, I think that you were you meant and created to live within community called the body of Christ and to bring your prayer requests to others and pray about certain things together over the long haul. You are meant to pray about certain things together over the long haul. Where you're asking, seeking, and knocking, and, and which we, we tried to get, you know structure these ethos communities this year, so you would have more time to passionately pursue God in prayer. Where week after week after week after week, you're praying about similar things together, and as God answers, you can rejoice in the good gifts that God is giving. Uh, my wife and I, we pray about certain things in our lives. And sometimes we feel like we get to a point in our lives in prayer where we have to go public with the prayer. Like we just per- persist. We're like, you know what? We've got to go public with this. Um, where we would either tell our ethos community or we would, there have been times in our, in our marriage at EBF where we have called certain people, groups of people over to house to pray uh, about situations uh, over the past couple of years, there was a point, as you know, we've, we're going through this adoption in uh, Ethiopia, and man, we were just struggling, and like things weren't working out, and, we, we, and my wife is like, man, we've got to include other people on this. We need to bring a crew over, and so we brought this crew over one night, 
and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we've been consistently praying since then. And you know how special it is for me to see my wife over there holding my baby. <laughs> and you know what? You, you're part of that. You're part of that. You got to like join with me and now we're like celebrating in the good gifts of God. And I think, well, maybe it's time for some of you to go public with your prayer. Maybe it's something you've been praying, journaling about for years, I don't know, months, weeks, days, I don't know. And you're like, you know what, it's time to go public with this prayer. Maybe it's a struggle, you, 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 know, you know, just go to your brothers and sisters this week and say, you know, I've been struggling with this for years, and I've been praying about it, having no victory, and I want you to know about it. You've got to join me in praying. Or maybe you don't have a heart for the gospel or a heart for Jesus. Maybe you're stale and dull right now and you've been praying to break out of it. You need to go public and invite others into this prayer. Or whatever it is, provision, healing, that you need to go public. You say, I cannot keep praying on my own. I want you to know. And as you tell one another and you pray together in your struggles and God starts to bring some answers, some breakthrough, you know what? We get to share in the good gifts together. So I think this is the week to go public with some of your prayers that you've been holding secret to yourself. Share with others. Pour out your heart and consistently pray over the long haul together and watch God move. He is your Father. This is not about guilt. It's about privilege. Sons and daughters of the Father get to ask Him. And He gives good gifts because He loves you. Let's pray. Father, you are a, a great God who loves us. In your holiness, you've made provision through Jesus for us to have access to you. And we praise you for the good gifts of salvation, that your wrath has been turned away, we've been clothed in your righteousness through faith. And if there's no one who's experienced that good gift in here today, Lord, may you draw them to you, the beauty of Jesus, bring them to repentance and faith. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in here who have prayed over the long haul for the salvation of someone they love, a breakthrough in healing of, of a relationship issue, maybe a loneliness, overcoming a sin. Lord, I just ask that you would hear our prayer today together, that you would bring the good gifts, that you would so make provision in these areas and circumstances and at the same time that you would fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit, the good gift of the Comforter to empower us and strengthen us to walk in holiness and righteousness and bring glory to you. And Lord, I, I just ask that starting this week we'd be open to sharing with others our prayer requests, that we would go public with what's going on in our hearts and our prayers, no matter how ugly they may seem, no matter how great our struggles are, maybe it's relationship struggle, marriage struggle, sexual struggle, immorality struggle, whatever it is, to bring a certain amount of people in and start praying together over the long haul and asking you, our Father, for good gifts. We thank you that you hear us and that you care for us. Thank you for this privilege as your kids. In Jesus' name, amen.